This morning uh, is quite the privilege for me to introduce my friend, Mike Wadlow. He's going to be speaking this morning. If you know Mike, can give a hand real quick. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, what's the one thing that I really want to make sure that everyone here and online knows about Mike uh, before I hand it over to him? And it's uh, Mike has a heart for every single person, not just Christian, person to deeply experience the presence of God. And um, before he was in his current iteration of running a supernatural school here uh, at Neighborhood, uh, he was an electrician. And I would, you know, run into Mike at our, at our small group or, we, you know, around town, and he would have story after story of, you know, I was at this job site and I prayed for this guy to get healed. Or I was at this job site and I was talking to this guy and he started telling me a story and I started sharing about Jesus with him over and over and over again. And it's just kind of deeply woven into who Mike is that uh, when he comes, in, comes into like a room or into a conversation with a person, his deepest desire is that they would experience Jesus. And I love that about you, Mike. Yeah, I love that. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to hand it over to you. I think we should buckle up this morning. Is it going to be a good message? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, thank you for Mike. Thank you for his heart, his desire to see you known, lifted high, be glorified through his life. Thank you for um, the ways that he has laid down his life for others. I pray that this morning our eyes would be open, our ears would be open to hear and to see the things that you want to show us. Um, we, we want to come with soft hearts to receive the message and the word that you will be speaking through Mike. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Um, good morning. Uh, why don't we just take a second and just shake it out? Life is hard. Things are distracting. This journey with God is a process. And sometimes we just need to kind of shake it off. Um, you guys feel okay? All right. Might need to take a deep breath, blow it out, if that's your, if that your MO. <clears throat> it's going to be okay. He loves you. I love you. We're going to do well. <clears throat> um, the first time I ever saw what I would call a creative miracle, where God made something happen in somebody's body uh, that wasn't just what you would call a healing, but he actually added to their body. Um, it started with my skepticism. I was here at a conference. The conference was next door uh, in 401, our multipurpose room. And I had been having back and knee and neck problems for quite some time, and I had gotten prayer. And the guy who was speaking at the conference said, well, wait till my wife gets here tomorrow, and she'll pray for you. She's the heavy hitter. And so I, I was like, all right, cool. I was a little disappointed that it didn't work that first night, but I was, you know, hopeful. I was hopeful. So I, um, I, t I come and I find her. I tell her, hey, you know, Bill told me that, I needed to get you to pray for me. Here's what's going on. She says, well, let's go next door. So we come over to the dome. We're sitting in the dome. I mean, standing in the dome. And 
she says, so tell me what's going on. And I explained to her the big issue is my back. She says, well, do you have one leg shorter than another? Well, I don't know. I don't often go to the chiropractor, so I'm not sure. She says, well, sit down on the floor, put your feet out. Let's take a look. And so long story short, she said it was about, my one leg was about half an inch or so longer than the other. And she says, can you see it? I'm like, no, from this angle with my feet out here in front of me, I, I can't tell. You know, she's looking at my heels and I'm looking at my toes, which can do this, right? And so she prays for me and she says, leg grow. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't have any sense of the presence of God. There was nothing. And I'm thinking, well, that's okay. I've been prayed for many times for this. No big deal. We'll just keep going. And so um, she says to me, she looks up at me and she says, did you feel it? I'm like, no, I didn't feel anything. What do you mean? And she says, your legs are, are straight. They're even. She said, your leg just moved. And I'm like, I, I didn't feel it. I can't see it. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to be polite and kind of trusting. And so I'm like, well, thanks. Thank you so much. She says, well, stand up and see if your back feels any better. And so I stand up and I, I kind of move around and I'm like, you know, it really doesn't. Um, sorry. Thank you. And so she says, don't worry about it. Your back's going to start getting better. Incidentally, I don't have back injuries uh, or back pain like I used to. I don't know when that changed, but it might have started back then. I'm not sure. So I, anyway, we leave. We go back to the conference. As we walk through the door, I'm questioning like, Lord, I couldn't see it. I didn't feel it. It doesn't mean you didn't do it. I just don't know. But I'm wrestling because part of me is like, I have no idea what this lady's talking about. I'd never seen that before, right? And so I walk in the door. And as I, as I walk in the door with uh, Benny, Benny Johnson, uh, there in front of me at the back of the room where the doors are is our own Anita Allison. Anita is sitting in this chair. My father-in-law is standing there. Several other people are standing around. And Bill Johnson is holding her feet up in the air in front of her, just like I had been doing 10 minutes before. And I look down at her feet and I kid you not, her legs were about an inch different in length. And he asked us all, do you see this? And we looked around and we all nodded and he smiled at us and he looked us in the face and he said, watch this, leg grow. And while I stood there, I watched Anita's leg grow out. It didn't shoot out like a rocket, but it just steadily got longer while we watched. Anita wasn't moving. It's not like her hips or her pelvis were, were being repositioned. She just sat perfectly still and I watched her leg physically grow and her back got healed that day. I, I watched her get up and walk around the room to check it out and the pain was totally gone, right? Yeah. So interesting thing, first I experienced it, I wasn't sure about it. Then I saw it. I'm like, okay, well, then maybe my leg really did grow out. My faith is growing. <clears throat> the next day, two of our high school students, back then I was doing high school ministry with Andrew and Amy, or maybe it was college at that point. Um, two of our students practically carry their mom in. She's got her arms around each of the boys and they carry her down to the front during the service and they, uh, they stand up here with the, uh, our former pastor and they, uh, the pastor shares 
that we as a church are going to pray for this woman because the, because the boys had requested it. She had some sort of disease where her body was actually eating its own joints. And she was in excruciating pain. She had all these nerve problems. And so we pray as a church. Everybody extends their hands. You know, we're very hopeful. And we pray and... I don't think anything happened. And so as they're going back to their seats, I lean over to the pastor. I happen to be sitting in the front. And I said, hey, this is not okay. It's not okay that we pray once and we just let them go back to their seat. Like, it doesn't matter. And he said, well, if you feel conviction about it, you probably need to pray for her again. And so after the church, um, for the sake of time, her nerve damage in her foot got healed by... A miracle, but it also happened to save my hiney because I grabbed her feet. I didn't know that there was such bad nerve damage. And um, the whole family gasped as I did it. And then they were all in awe simultaneously because there was no pain. But ultimately what happened was we put this woman in a chair. She stuck out her feet. I held those feet in my hands. Her legs were not the same length. There's a whole group of her family. I think it was like 16 people in this aisle. I think it was that one over there. And I don't know what to do. And I'm like, how did I get here? But I'd seen it the day before. And so I look up at everybody and I say, watch. (laughs) In the name of Jesus, leg, grow. Now her leg damage was caused because her cartilage, I mean her, uh, yeah, her soft tissue in her knee had been disintegrating. Her joint was falling apart. So her leg was shrinking. And we pray and her leg grows out. Her son bursts into tears. He's never seen anything like that before. And she proceeds to get up and starts walking down the aisle and back up the other side. And she's looking at me and she's saying, it's like I have a brand new knee. And I'm like over the moon. First of all, just because something happened. But I'm also really excited that she got healed, right? This is a really big deal. This woman is literally dying one little joint at a time. And all of a sudden, there was hope and light in her life again because God did something, which means God could do more. Andrew talked several weeks ago about discipleship. And this idea of when you're called by a rabbi, he chooses the people he thinks can be like him. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master, but the servant could be like him. We are the disciples. We don't have it figured out. Unfortunately, we don't have the actual Jesus leading us all around, showing us how it's done. But there are people who are far enough along, even though they're still in process, they're far enough along that we can model what they're doing while we learn how to do it ourselves. And that's what I've been doing since I came back to the Lord at 25 years old. I've been finding people who not just tell me what to think, but can show me what God does and tell me who he is. And I've been trying to pattern my life after them. So, um, we've been in this series about the mysteries of the kingdom. 
And uh, in this series, we've been also going through a book. This, as maybe you remember Andrew's uh, mentioning before, this is my wife, Amy's uncle, Lynn, who wrote this book, Lynn Corey. And uh, it's really easy. Basically, what he does is he tells you stories, highlights concepts, ties them to scripture, and says, you can do this too. And that's what I've been learning to do. And last week, uh, Andrew kicked this two-part talk on the empowered life off, and he talked about John 14. And John 14 is where Jesus tells the disciples, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Um, This requires a lot of faith. And Andrew spent last week talking a, a good deal about faith. And I, um, I, I have been on quite the journey of faith. I have also prayed for many people and for their legs to grow out and told uh, people around, hey, watch this, and not seen it work. And you know what? It's, it, before you go, well, maybe it wasn't God's will. Well, I have found that, that sometimes it's because God's doing something in the individual. In fact, one lady who goes to our church, um, when I prayed for her, nothing happened. And there happened to be like five high school students there that I had called over. So it was a moment. And and yet at the same time, I kept checking back with her because I had this expectation that something was going on. And then I found like two weeks later, she said, you know what I've been finding is that God's doing something in my heart because of this. And I said, well, when was the last time you checked your legs? And she said, well, I haven't. And I said, well, sit down. Let's check it out. She kind of sheepishly sat down, put out her legs. And guess what? They were way better. She was one of those people who had a pretty substantial uh, difference, difference between the length of her legs. And they were almost right. God had been working in her heart. And somehow her body was also being part of that process. Um. Another time, slightly different story, but a person was coming down for prayer. And as they started to come down for prayer, the Lord said, ask me what's keeping them from being healed. And I'm like, what? Okay. It was just a a soft thought that went through my head. And I know this person. I love this person. She came down front. And like the spiritual man that I am, I prayed all my best prayers. Because I thought she was just going to get healed. And she didn't. And so... Um, as she said, thank you, and was going to leave, I'm like, you know what? Hold on. Can we ask the Lord if there's any reason that you shouldn't be getting healed? If there's something that's hindering you from being healed? So we pray. The Lord brings a memory from her childhood. And it tended, it was a touchy memory. So she said, you know what? I I probably need to, to talk to somebody else about this. And so she went and she did some prayer counseling with another woman. And as it turns out, at the end of that time, this prayer counselor says, hey, you know what? Let's pray for your, your issue with your foot. They pray, and immediately this woman is healed. 
as a side note, we've also sometimes had to fight with the demonic and get them out of the house before we could get the breakthrough and the healing. So uh, just so you, you know, there's lots of possibilities. Um, but this morning, I want to touch on the fact that the Bible says that, the, that faith is equated with righteousness. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. And I have been on a journey with righteousness recently. And as you see in this scripture, righteousness is directly connected to faith. And if you've been here fairly consistently over the last month or two, I've stood on this stage at least once, probably more than once, and said that the entire kingdom flows through righteousness. And I want to just touch on that a little bit this morning. We don't have time for me to build a case and convince you. But... Uh, I'm just going to wet your whistle. <clears throat> so many of you know, I lead what we call Empowered Ministry School. Uh, they graciously allow us to do it here at Neighborhood Church because they believe in it and they believe in us, which is super helpful. One of the things that I appreciate about our leadership, aside from the fact that I'm married to one of them, is that they all love me and I feel very safe in their love, which is why I do what I do because I'm not afraid of judgment and I'm not afraid of retribution and they are free to correct me. And I actually am open to that because I am safe in their love. And um, one of the things that we study in the book of Romans, I'm sorry, in EMS, Empowered Ministry School, is the book of Romans. It's our foundational Bible book that we go through. And I have recently come to realize the entire book of Romans is founded or hinged on righteousness. It talks about the gospel, and it links it to righteousness again and again and again, especially in the second half of the book. Um, but then I came to realize that the entire Bible hinges on righteousness. Not sure if you believe me. You're welcome to go check it out for yourself. But I'm going to highlight a couple things really quick. Uh, you have Genesis 1 in the garden. Man is made in the image and the likeness of God. Perfect, righteous, blameless. Now, did he know everything? No. Was he all-powerful? No. But his character, his nature, his desires, and his intentions were in perfect alignment with God. And so he's made in the image and likeness of God. He has the nature of God. Eve is then made, and then they fall. They eat the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fault-finding tree, the offense tree. The disqualification and shame tree. And in that moment that Adam ate that fruit, righteousness was lost. He took on a different nature. He bowed to a different spirit. And righteousness was lost. But then we see 
Abraham and the story of Abraham ultimately ends up being about righteousness. Moses and the law, that whole thing ultimately ends up being about righteousness. The prophets, they come to point to the law, so they're constantly talking about righteousness. You see it in Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets at some point or another either using the word or referring to the principle are talking about righteousness. And in Jeremiah 23 and 33 both, it says this. It says, I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Incidentally, you know, he's our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Do you know what Melchizedek means? King of righteousness. Um, so Jesus comes on the scene in, in Matthew 3. He comes to John the Baptist and he says, hey, I need you to baptize me. John says, whoa, uh, you need to baptize me. And Jesus says, let us do this to fulfill all righteousness. To that point, there had been no living person who could stand to the measure of righteousness, to the law, the statutes, and the commands of God. Couldn't be done because they didn't have the right nature. The Spirit of God had left the building when righteousness left the building. And apart from the Spirit of God, you cannot fulfill righteousness. You can't live it. And so Jesus comes by the power of the Spirit. He lives this life. He says, let's fulfill all righteousness. He's baptized. The Spirit of God comes upon him. And then fast forward to the cross. Jesus is hanging on the cross now at the time of the evening sacrifice. And with his almost last breath, he says, it is finished. What was finished? Righteousness was fulfilled. He came as us, for us, hung on a cross, became sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Incidentally, if you keep going all the way to the book of Revelation, Righteousness is a continuous theme. And at the very end, when it talks about the bride, it says she's robed in white, which is the righteous acts of the saints. The book is founded on righteousness. It hinges on righteousness. The kingdom flows through righteousness. So before we stop, I mean, before we continue, I want to stop for a minute. And hopefully you brought your communion with you. <clears throat> And I want to approach the table today, the communion table. With this particular language, this table is a table of righteousness. With his body, he made you holy. With his blood, he made you righteous. He gave you righteousness. The Bible says it was a free gift. It can't be earned. Romans 4 and 5 do a really good job talking about that. 
It is a little difficult to read Romans for some people, so read the Passion Translation. It's, a good, it's an easy one. But this needs to get in us. This will set us free. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but rhetorical question. How many of you wake up in the morning and you don't just feel bad because you've done something wrong? You feel like you are wrong. In the deepest part of who you are, that has been a wrestle for years. Am I ever going to be okay? This table, this table of righteousness, says that you are righteous. You are blameless. I often stand here and quote Colossians 1.22. He brought you into his presence and made you blameless and holy. So as you hold these in your hands, we're just going to take them both uh, together right now. Would you just take a minute and from the, the deepest part of the heart that you can muster, can you just tell them thank you? Lord, thank you. I receive your righteousness. Tell him thanks. Let your heart just open up and receive it right now. And as you do, let's take communion together. So righteousness is restored. Remember, the Holy Spirit left when righteousness left the building. But now righteousness has been restored. And the disciples have already believed. And so Jesus comes back. He comes to his disciples. He breathes on them. Oh, in the interim, he's resurrected. It's kind of important. He goes to the tabernacle in heaven. He makes atonement for us. He comes back down. He breathes on the disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. But then before he leaves, he tells the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, until power comes upon you from on high. And so that day does come on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's poured out and it makes a scene. They're speaking in tongues. They're looking drunk. The neighboring... Uh, People in the area are like, dude, these guys are drunk. Peter says, no, it's only nine in the morning. This is not true. And what happens? He proceeds to share systematically through what they understood to be the scriptures at the time, who Messiah was, and then said, by the way, you crucified him. And they're cut to the heart. They cry out, what can we do? And he says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of sin, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So if you have done that, incidentally, Romans 8 says that you're in the spirit because the spirit of the Lord lives in you. You're not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Why is that? Because he's made you righteous. So right now, I just want to encourage you. Romans, uh, Ephesians 6 says to continue, or 5 says to continually be filled. Just open up your heart and just let the spirit of God fill you. It's just like breathing him in. Remember at the beginning, he breathed into Adam the breath of life. When he came to the disciples, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If he's already in you, he's already in your spirit, that's okay. You can just breathe him up from inside. It's more like an, an act of faith, right? But we're just letting him fill us. 
But I want to stop and say something about this. Righteousness can be a little tricky. And so uh, I looked up righteousness. And this is the general definition of righteousness. This is like the sum of the various places I've looked. And it was a frustrating definition to me because it feels like it has a lot to do with actions and very little to do with the overall nature of God, which to me, he is righteousness, right? That's what uh, the Bible says. Jesus calls him the righteous father. So I had a hard time with that. So I kind of came up with my own definition. And um, this is what I think, if I was a scholar, I would write. Being and acting in accord with the divine nature Character, desires, and intentions of moral law, free from guilt and sin, right or justifiable in moral action, desire, and purpose, and having been restored to the same status as the one who is righteousness itself. When the Father sees you, he sees you in Jesus. He sees you as in the righteous one. You have the same righteousness as Jesus. Now, the enemy would like to point to all of your mistakes along the journey and tell you that's not true. But we're not in this based on what we think is true. We're in it based on what he says is true. And so I just want to tell you right now, many of us struggle with our feelings because of this wrestle. If you want to change your feelings, begin to change your language. Find out what the Bible says is true and agree with what's true Take I out of the conversation and say, this is what you did, and this is what you say. Stop saying, well, God, but me, I. Just drop it. He, he puts you to death. The part of you that's disqualified and, and fallen died with Jesus on a cross. You are fully accepted. And you know what? Jesus said, a good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. But if you still believe you're a bad tree, good luck trying to produce good fruit. God does his work from the inside out. When I was born into my family, I was a son, period. I've never been uh, short of their name. They've never removed it. I've caused them a lot of pain, cost them a lot of money. It was work. I didn't know everything. I didn't, uh, I didn't do everything right. I messed a lot of stuff up. But I've always been a son. In fact, one day I was arguing with my parents. Things went poorly. I ran away from home. And uh, the people who I went and stayed with, they said, you have to call your parents. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll call my parents. I get on the phone with my dad. And at the end of the conversation, my dad says, you can stay until tomorrow so that you can have some time. But he said, nobody loves you like your mother and I. And the world is trying to tell you with their broken love who you are and what your value is. But the Father says you've been made righteous. We studied James 5 uh, just briefly last week. And Andrew talked about the anointing with oil, the confessing of sin, confessing your sins to one another. When you confess your sins and you're forgiven, what happens? Righteousness is restored. But in, in James 5, verses 16 
or sorry, in verse 15 it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Restoration of righteousness. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man or a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then it goes on to talk about Elijah. Do you know what, what the deal is with Elijah? It says that he prayed for rain. Oh, by the way, it says he was a man just like us. He was human. But he prayed for rain, prayed it would stop raining and it stopped raining. And then it says he prayed for rain again and it rained. When he prayed for rain that second time, he had to pray seven times. But you know what? He had been directed by God and he knew it. Faith is righteousness. He got down on his knees, put his head between his knees, and he labored in prayer. Some translations say the effective, fervent prayer of the righteous produces much fruit or avails much. He got on his face and he pushed until he got the breakthrough. He prayed seven times. And then what was the breakthrough? It wasn't that it started raining. His servant came back and said, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hands rising from over the sea. And he's like, got it. And he was done. End of it. He saw a glimmer. He said, just tell me there's evidence and that'll be enough. When we pray for people now, we often just say, just look for the evidence. Look for change. Look, that, look for some evidence that God is doing something. Uh, years ago, I was down here and um, I was getting prayer for my neck. And um, I think I had hurt my shoulder as well. And while they're praying for me, this guy is literally praying prayers over me that I have come out of my own mouth when I'm alone with the Lord. And I'm thinking to myself, this is crazy. And by the time we get done, I feel different. I'm like, something changed. My back, upper back and neck were doing better, but I had really been wanting my shoulder to get healed. And so while there was evidence that God was at work, I was going, yeah, but this is still here. And so I thanked him and I, after the meeting, I went out to my car and as I'm getting in the car, I thought to myself, I don't think it worked. Now, everything else had changed. It had not gone back. It had stayed changed. But I'm, I'm just focused on the thing that didn't happen yet. And I go, man, I, I don't think it worked. And I get into my car and the Lord says, you missed it. And I knew in that moment what he was saying was, I started something and you were looking at the wrong thing and you missed it. I started a work, but you looked the other way and you missed it. It's okay, my faith was growing and I was in process and I was learning. Disciples learn. So anyway, um, It's not all about righteousness, is it? By the way, it is the most mentioned topic in scripture. I checked it out. Far and away, the most mentioned topic. But God is love. And you cannot separate righteousness and love. And so, uh,
For the sake of time, I just want to say this. This God who accomplished all righteousness, the one who is love, has a desire for his kingdom to be manifest on the earth. What is that? That is justice. It's justice. Uh, justice is making right what's wrong. And I like this definition from uh, World Vision. The biblical references to the word justice mean to make right. Justice is, first and foremost, a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, one another, and natural creation. When the kingdom is present, those things are in order. But it doesn't just stop there, does it? When somebody who's dying gets healed... That's an intervention of the kingdom. That's justice. That wouldn't have been a problem in the garden before the fall. But the cool thing about the kingdom is when he makes the wrong thing right, and then for eternity we'll be understanding this, right? We're not going to see it all right in this life. But when he makes it right, he doesn't stop there. He goes beyond that. So just like in the story of the widow and her son who leave during Elisha's day um, because of a famine, this is the son who had been raised back to life. They leave for, uh, for I think it's seven years, so that um, they can weather the famine. And in the meantime, um, presumably somebody else takes over their field because um, later, when she comes back, she's talking to the king. He's so excited to hear the stories of Elisha. And, she, and he finds out that she's the one whose child had been raised from the dead and finds out that she had left all of her stuff, all of her inheritance, her properties. And he says, restore back to her everything that she has left. Oh, and what she would have gained during that season had she had the property what she would have made on the property from the crops. He didn't just give her back the land. He gave her everything that she potentially could have had as well. This is how the kingdom works, or at least how it's supposed to work. So we have righteousness, love, and justice. They cannot be separated. And I just want to show you this picture really quick. This is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> I'm sorry that it's uh, not very good. I had to make it in this, the keynote program because I couldn't find a, a royalty-free version to give you. Um, but I want to I highlight just a couple things really quick. At the bottom is the actual ark. That's where the manna, the Ten Commandments, and the rod of Aaron were kept. That, uh, those things sum up the testimony that God has been righteous towards them and he is just. Okay? And at the top, where it says justice, the top of that, there was a thing called the mercy seat. That's where the high priest went, sprinkled the blood, and made atonement. So you have your righteousness and your justice. Because he is righteous, he had to deal with sin. He acted justly. But then guess where he reigns? The, the mercy seat is also called the throne. 
and love reigns from the top of that mercy seat. Psalm 89 says that righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. When you step into faith, this is what we're trying to get a hold of. And it starts in here and begins to manifest out there. It begins to be expressed in our lives. And, um, and it just gets a lot easier as you begin to grasp the truth, as you begin to get the truth into your mouth, let it become the way that you talk, agreeing with God. And as your, your words begin to change, your mind begins to change. And by the way, I would encourage you when you pray the word, expand on it. Flesh out what does it mean and let that be a conversation between you of God in praise. I think that's the most effective way to do it personally. You can take it or leave it. But it just starts to become part of how you think. It becomes second nature. And it should because he gave us a new nature. And um, things like praying for the sick begin to be a lot less intimidating. And you begin to see a lot more fruit. Because you're motivated by love. And you're not afraid of failure. Just like I said, I'm safe in this house because of the leadership and their love for me. I'm safe in my family and my, uh, my wife's family because of their love for me. I'm free to still be in process, but it doesn't change my value one bit. And so I was down front one day um, not that many years ago, and one of our former high school and college fr uh, friends of ours was down in the front worshiping. He was standing in the front with his hands up. And my heart just, I was just like, man, I love that kid. And so I went over and stood next to him, and I said, man, Lord, thank you so much for him. And I was just so pleased to be with him, and I began to worship with him. And all of a sudden, I had this thought. I wasn't trying to, like, hear from God. I just had this thought. And I lean over to him, and I say, hey, today your voice is going to be heard in heaven. Now, logically, if I had stopped to think about it, I would have been like, duh, his voice is always heard in heaven. But I just went with it. I mentioned this to him. And a literal wave of the presence of the Lord came from in front of us, hit us both simultaneously without any conversation. We both fall to our knees, fall over on our faces and begin to worship the Lord and have an encounter with him. Physically feeling a wave of his presence come over us and into us. But it's not always that mystical and, and crazy. One day I was just leaving Safeway. And I look over at this lady who's standing in the median with her sign, hoping for a buck. And I don't even remember what her sign says. And I, there was nobody behind me, so I just parked my car at the stop sign. I got out because my heart went out to her. Compassion had left the, left the building in a good way. It was pulling me to her. And I, I walk over and I hand her, I think it was $50, but I'm going to say 20 because I can't be 100% sure. But I hand her a decent amount of money. And she looks me in the face and she looks a little scared and I'm not sure if there's tears and her eyes just keep getting bigger and bigger. And she says, are you sure? And I just smiled and I said, yeah. I think I said, God loves you, but I don't remember. 
And as I drove away, I watched her literally dance and jump in the median. She was so excited. And Chris told you that this is how I live my life. And it's not always glorious. Sometimes it's, hey, let me pray for you. Did anything happen? No, nothing happened. Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to keep praying for you. And I move on. Sometimes the Lord tells me, hey, go talk to that person. And I know it's him. And I'm like, man, Lord, I really can't be bothered right now. I'm working on this thing. But it never changes my status. I have been made righteous. I have been made worthy of love. And I'm the object of his affection. And so I just want to close with this statement from chapter five of Lynn Corey's book from Jesus' Secrets. It says, living the empowered life is motivated from a heart of love for those in desperate need. When they tell you their need, you have a green light to love them. And I tell our students in Empowered Ministry School, that is God's red carpet. When somebody tells you what's wrong with them, unsolicited, God is about to move. Just turn your love on and get busy. So would you stand? Prayer people, if you want to come down, I just want to pray for us really fast. Maybe not really fast. If your heart's been stirred and you feel like, yep, that's what I want, or I want to grow more in that, or who knows, you just want more of Jesus, would you just put your hands up? Father, I thank you that every person in this room who has said yes to Jesus, who has applied the faith that you have given them, is a son or daughter. The Spirit of God lives in them. They are in the Spirit because the Spirit of the Lord lives in them. And God, it is because of that that they are a walking potential miracle or encounter with the Heavenly Father everywhere they go. God, I thank you that you are renewing their minds and that you have given us the word and you are washing us. But even Jesus said to the disciples, you are clean because of my word. A person who has had a bath only needs that their hands and feet be washed. You are clean. And so Father, I declare over my friends, both in here and online, you have been made clean. You are righteous in the sight of God. You are free from fear and guilt and self-evaluation. And you have been released to love. So I bless you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives of each of us. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in Chico as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. There's prayer people down here if you need prayer.